Welcome to Word of Grace, a local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. Okay, in Psalm 32, just to give us a little background, in Psalm, the Psalm before that, because they're both uh, written by David, this, this uh, 31st Psalm is very instructive to us. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11 said these things, everything that the Old Testament saints and everything that they went through in the Bible was to be an admonition or an instruction or a type for us to learn. Someone once said, well, if you, you, know, you only teach the things of Christ and through the Pauline epistles, what about the whole Old Testament? Well, the reality is, is that there's all kinds of truth, a little seeds of truth that are there and therefore our instruction. So Psalm 31, it really is the life of warfare. It's dealing with the life of warfare. And if you look at the first verse, it says, In you, O Lord, and this is Psalm 31, verse 1, In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. In other words, only in you is my trust. You're the only one that I can trust. And when that happens, I will, it says, let me never be ashamed. And the shame comes, obviously, through us not trusting and the only one we can trust in. And then it says, deliver me uh, in your righteousness. All kinds of truth here in these verses. So much here that, that could be shared. But it's all about trust. It's all about trusting him. You look at it, it says in, in, in verse 4 it says pull me out of the net that they have laid privily and secretly for me because you're my strength so we're trusting and the only one we can trust in and who's the only one who is our strength we don't have strength in ourselves so in 2 Corinthians 12 9 and Joel 3 10 the weak can say that we're strong our strength is not in ourselves. that's our declaration it's not in us, but it's in Christ in us. So we do have just an amazing, limitless amount of strength. And it's in us, but it's in Christ. And it can only, be, it can only function when we understand, truthfully, just how weak we are. And weak never means sin. It just means that we can't do anything without Him who's our strength. Uh, so... But there's a, there's a net, and of course Satan in the atmosphere, that it always has a net to, uh, to trap us and to keep us from our true strength. Psalm 31, verse 5, it says, and Jesus quoted this on the cross as he was fulfilling it in Luke 23, verse 46, one of the seven sayings that he uh, declared and manifested and fulfilled on the cross. It says, into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. So all truth is in him. It's all in him. And then in verse 6, I trust in the Lord. And I love this verse, and we'll get to Psalm uh, 32, but I love this verse that says in verse 7, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. For you have considered my trouble. Think about that. 
And we've said before, well, when do, you, when do we think that God considered our trouble, all that that would happen to us in time? Well, he considered that in eternity. <laughs> That's when he considered the trouble that causes us to be worried in time was all considered by him in eternity. And that's why we can say in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, that all things are for your sake. Because yeah, it's of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, all things are of God. They're of him. They're, they were in his eternal mind. They couldn't have happened to us if it wasn't in his predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge. Never would have happened to us. But it was of God. And that's why in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for God's divine good to them that, are, that love God, being first loved by him. And that we're called according to his purpose. So it was his purpose that was all these things that happened to us that was leading us to his purpose. And so he does consider, he considered the, our trouble. He considered, the word considered is yada, yada. Atah in the Hebrew, and it means a perception or comprehensive knowledge which grasps an object. Think about that. When you think about that, it grasps an object, an object and takes possession of it or makes itself master of it. <laughs> and God was allowing all these things, and this was all in his mind in eternity past, you know, everything that would happen to us in time. But he knew, since it was for our sake and of him and working together for the good, that sometime in, in time, his eternal thoughts through Christ and what he would accomplish would reach us and that he could grasp us as his object. That's what love does. That's who God is. It grasps us as his object so we can understand the intense, comprehensive knowledge and the fact that he knew everything and was intimately involved with it, even before we entered into it. And that he wants to take possession of us in time with his eternal thoughts and loving care for us. And not only to take possession of us, but to make himself master of everything about us. And boy, when he masters us through our absolute dependence upon him, that gives us an incredible freedom and a place to rest. The only place that we can rest, we've said recently, is to rest in Him, to rest in Christ. And this was not an idle contemplation when God was thinking about us. Everything that God is in His love, and His love is never static. It's not just idle consideration. It's very active. Just think about it, the Trinity, very active in what was going to happen to us in time. Very active. And then God sent His Son. He was very, very active. Not an idle contemplation, but an active intervention. <laughs> an active intervention. That's the place that God wants us to run to. That is the place in Psalm 32, verse 7, that is our hiding place. He doesn't want us 
to run from his eternal love for us. He doesn't want us to run from it. He wants us to run into it. In our worst moments and our best, no matter what, we're to run into it, we're to flee. And we'll see a little bit more this morning about what that means. But even in the type, even in the type of the ark, remember in Genesis, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 11, all the way through, really, to the 22nd verse of Genesis 6, the earth at that time was extremely corrupt. It was violent. Think about it. Think about the times that we live in right now. What characterizes the times that we live in? What characterized it then in Genesis 6-11? It was full of violence and terror. Yep. Matthew 24, verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, what was indicative of it? violence and terror, so will it be when the coming of the Son of Man is ready. So really what it says. And so at that time there was terror and violence. And so Noah preached for 120 years. And while he was doing it, what was he doing? He was building what? An ark. The ark there Genesis, the sixth chapter, the ark in Exodus 25, 17 to 22, speaks of the very presence of God. It is a type of Jesus Christ. So all along, he's preaching. There's coming a judgment, but there's a way to be delivered, salvation. There's a way. And for 120 years, he was building an ark. And nothing ever happened outside of the ordinary. And he was mocked. And they laughed. He, he was the butt of their joke for 120 years. Then the ark was completed. They entered in. Eight souls. Eight. Eight. Many times in the Bible, the number eight speaks of resurrection. And so there's eight, and they go in to the ark because there was coming a judgment. There's safety from judgment of God. There's safety for us in the from the judgment of God being in Christ. And we said it in John 3, 36, the wrath of God is not on us. We're saved from that wrath and that judgment by being in Christ. And so they went in. And then the waters came and the flood came. And when it says when they entered in, who closed the door? God closed the door. And the waters came, the waters of judgment against all that men who were extremely evil and corrupt, terror and fear and violence. That's what was going on at that time. And then judgment came, the waters came, the flood came. And those that were in the ark were lifted above the judgment. The waters came and dealt with everyone that was outside of that ark. But all that judgment could do, okay, the ark was always above it. And they were in it. And it became their hiding place from judgment. 
So David said, blessed is he whose transgression. And the Hebrew really brings it out very clearly. Transgression here literally means revolt. You revolt violently against God. That's what we do. That's all that we are outside of Christ and what he's accomplished. And thank God that Christ in us, the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27, we are in him. The book of Ephesians, over 86 times we're in him. We're above judgment. And beautifully, and I want to bring it out tonight too because there'd never be enough time to to bring these things out the way that, that God would have us to have them. That's why there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. In Romans 8, 1. And that's why the rest of that verse is not in the original. To them that walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No, no, as far as God's concerned, when we're His, whether we function in the flesh or, or by the Spirit, there's no condemnation towards us in Christ, because we're in the ark, we're in a hiding place, and judgment can't find you in me, in Christ. So he said, blessed is the man whose revolt is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And that's all it could be at that time. That's why the mercy seat. In Exodus, we said in 25, verse 17 to 22, the, the mercy seat, it means kaporoth, it means to cover. And the whole time, sin is being covered so God could still deal with them in mercy. So he covered it until Christ would come and all that was put on him. The true ark, the antitype to the type that was in Genesis, the sixth chapter, and in Exodus, the 25th chapter. The ark, the very presence of God. There's safety and there's no judgment in the presence of God through Christ. And then it says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. There's that word impute. He doesn't reckon to their account their perversity, because that's what iniquity is, by the way. It's perversity. And boy, oh boy, that's all we can function in outside of Christ, our hiding place. Isaiah 45, verse 15, it says, God hides himself from the presence of man. To the self-righteous man, he hides himself. Where? In Christ. Think about it. All the Pharisees, you look at the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The religious crowd of the day, the Pharisees, hated him. Why? God was hidden in Christ from the pride of man. And God will hide himself in Christ. And we can function in who we are in Christ, hidden in him. But when we function in the flesh, what are we functioning in pride? And then he's hidden from us. But it's who we are. He's ours. Our only means of safety and security and surety and comfort and consolation and encouragement is in Christ. We're hidden from everything else. We're hidden from every single thing else, and we'll see that could wrong us. No wrong can touch us when we function in, in our hiding place in Christ. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes, who does not reckon to him his perversity. 
We can hide, and we hide in what he's dealt with. We no longer have to live in the lie. We don't have to live in the lies of the past, the flesh, how our flesh affected us, and how someone else's flesh affected us, and try to deal with it in the natural realm, apart from Christ, who's already dealt with it. We don't have to deal with it. We are hidden from it. The wicked one, in that sense, who in John 8, 44, is the father of all lies, touches us not in 1 John 5, verse 18. The wicked one touches us not. In other words, no wrong can touch us in Christ. He's our hiding place. We're hidden from it. We can hide in the truth, and no lie, no wrong will touch us and can harm us. The only thing that can harm the, the children of the truth being in Christ is a lie. Functioning in something that's not even true about God or us. Nothing. Nothing about it is. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old. In other words, this is what it's saying. This is what it's saying. Psalm 51, when David said, I was conceived in iniquity and in sin did my mother bring me forth in Psalm 51, verse 5. Psalm 51 was written before Psalm 32, in chronological order. See, he reckoned the sin. He said, you desire truth in the inward parts in Psalm 51, verse 6. And that's why he would cry in Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a clean heart. He needed a hiding place to hide from all that revolt that's in the flesh, that's in, a, in the old sin nature. We revolt, and, uh, and then we live in the function of that perversity. And that's why it says, in whom is no guile, no deceit. And deceit is the result of perversity and revolt against God. But he said that whole time in Psalm 51, I was keeping silence still. I knew that I did wrong. I knew it was wrong. But I kept quiet and my bones were waxing, screaming out to me and roaring all day long. For day and night, it says, your hand was heavy upon me. The convicting hand of God the Holy Spirit. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. And he said, I acknowledged my sin unto you. See, the whole time when we live in sin or live in lies, really, what are we doing? We're trying to make self right. This whole psalm is about self righteousness without works. And Paul goes into it really into detail in the finished work of Christ in, in Romans, the fourth chapter. He quotes it in verses seven and eight. And he goes into about Abraham. And he talks all about that work, righteousness without works. In other words, we can't do anything. That's why the Bible never teaches the doctrine of change. It doesn't teach us the doctrine of exchange. You know how some Christians pray, oh, change me. Maybe sometimes we have, oh, God, change me. And he says, listen, you already are changed. You just need to exchange, live in the exchange of who you are in Christ and not the old. That's imputation. You exchange the old for the new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. That's the doctrine of imputation. So, he said, I finally acknowledge my sin unto you. 
and my iniquity I have watched. I have not hit. And boy, when we don't hide in Christ our hiding place, what are we hiding in? What else is there to hide in in Christ? How else can we deal with things? Has God dealt with everything about us and everything that could condemn us, did God deal with it through Jesus Christ? So where, it's, where, where else do we get our help? Where else is our hiding place? It's Christ, period. It's learning Him. It's knowing Him and knowing who I am in Him. And to hide in anything else is to hide in iniquity. It's to hide in perversity and revolt and then seeing it, trying so desperately to do something about it and can't, and then it leads to other things. More destructive to try and deal with it. But yet it's never dealt with. The conscience never has settled peace. Why? Because in Ephesians 2.14, he's our peace. Our hiding place is Christ. God hides himself in Christ, and that's our hiding place. And he's our peace. Peace that was brought about through the blood of his cross in Colossians 1, verse 20. That's our peace. He's our resting place. Zephaniah 3, 17. God, he rests in his love. And when we rest there, he rejoices and sings over us. <laughs> he celebrates who we are in his son. And his son celebrates with us in who he is in us and who we are in him. And so, David finally acknowledges it. He said, for everyone that is godly will pray unto you, and in a time of trouble you can be found. Remember what we said about the trouble? That's what we said. He knows it. He considers it in Psalm 31, verse 7. So in here, in, in 32, verse 6, in a time where you may be found. What do we find in a time of trouble? What do we find? We find that that was God's eternal thoughts. He was considering us. And he sent his son, the only one that could deal with it. The only one that did deal with it. And he becomes our hiding place. We can hide in him. He wants us, as we said, to hide in God. We can only do one of two things as believers. We can either hide in his love or run from it. We can either flee to his love or flee from it. We can hide in him or hide from him. But David could say it, and he couldn't say it in self-righteousness, trying to make self right for God. He couldn't say it in self-righteousness. He had to say it in grace. He had to receive something he didn't deserve to get that he couldn't take credit in, but that, that it would be a hiding place where he could, he could. And he knew that he had one who stood before God for him. That's right. And that's who we have. We have one who constantly stands and intercedes for us. He stands because he represents every one of us in himself, who we are before the Father. He's our hiding place. And he would cover. David can only have it covered. We have it dealt with. We have it completely removed. Without the shedding of his blood, not in type, but Christ the antitype, in Hebrews 9.22, there would be no remission 
no canceling, no doing away with sin. Then we could have a clean conscience. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, that's why David prayed in Psalm 51, verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness. He was saying, all these types, they're covering my sin and they're teaching me something about him, but there's something I don't experience in my conscience. In my conscience, there's guilt. There's guilt. But when we confess it, we live in the freedom of the one who dealt with it. And then we can have peace. There'd be nothing troubling our conscience before God. And that's what in Hebrews 9.14, it's the blood of Christ has cleansed our conscience. We can hide in freedom. We can hide in absolute dependence upon Him. And He is our hiding place. And it doesn't come from effort. In vain is our effort to cover our sins and to try and escape from His presence. That's what David was saying. It's in vain. But here's the thing. We need to trust in Him. And we need to trust in His love. Because we only have an o two options. It's to trust in His love or trust in unbelief. We can either trust in Christ or trust in ourself. We can trust in Christ or live in self-evaluation and then try and do something about it and then be frustrated and then we have to sublimate and do something about that because that frustration has to have an outlet. And usually it's not, and always it's not good when we're not hiding in Him. Because all we're doing is hiding in who He is in us and who we are in Him. And we're hidden from anything else that could separate us or through a lie could condemn us to the one who's condemned everything in Himself that could condemn us. Well, forgiveness and grace draws the godly to God to hide in Christ. We've been forgiven. And it's all by grace. We can run to Him. James 4, verse 8, says, Draw near to God. Result, He'll draw near to you. Then you cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. When your hands and my hands get dirty, and when we start thinking double-minded, should we run from Him or run to our hiding place? We run to it. That's why He said, Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. How close has God drawing, drawn near to us? Christ put on humanity. And he, when doing so, he removed all distance between God and us. He's our hiding place. We hide in the same place that God himself hides in. We rest in the same place where God himself rests in. We have a great meeting, a great fellowship in 1 John 1 verse 3. And then we can live, not in the selfishness of private interests and desires, but put others, and put Christ and others ahead of ourselves. Philippians 2, 3, esteem one another better than yourselves. Look not on your own things in the fourth verse, but every man on the things of another. And we're to let this mind be in us. He faced a lot of things, Christ did, but did anything other than going to the cross for a time, ever separate him from fellowship with his Father. Not a single thing did. And so he had a hiding place. The hiding place 
is in a wonderful place. It's Christ himself. And in him, this hiding place, we are preserved. In him only, our hiding place, we're blessed. In him only, our hiding place, are we guided. And in there, we can experience trust. Righteousness and integrity. Who is our trust? Who is our surety? It's Christ. It's Him. And in Him, we have this tremendous forgiveness. You know what goes together with forgiveness every single time? No guile. No deceit. And when we function in forgiveness by grace, there's, there's no deceit or guile in us. It cleanses us. And as we begin to close uh, this portion, that's why they go together. There's full, absolute forgiveness. There's the not imputing sin at all. Not at all. And that's what takes guile out of our heart. That's what takes deceit away. That's what keeps us from living in deceit. It's this forgiveness by grace through this hiding place that's in Christ. Tonight we want to get into the word, this refuge, the refuge. And we thank God that our hiding place, this hiding place, is a love that doesn't change. We won't change as long as we function in this love. That love doesn't fail in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. But what does it do? When we're in that hiding place, in the love of God through Christ... It manifests itself with a greater intensity the same way that it was inhabiting God in eternity with this incredible intensity. The eternal love of God begins to enter into us in time, our hiding place. And then all through the Old Testament, they were called cities of refuge. We want to get into that and that, in that sense, became that hiding place for judgment or punishment or any harm. But when they would go there, and we'll see it tonight, there could be they, no wrong could touch them. And when we live in our hiding place in Christ, no wrong can touch us. It just can't touch us. Why? Because He dealt with it. It's not something that we have to deal with. It's not us dealing with certain things. It's us coming to the end of ourself, relying on self-help or self-hope or someone else who's outside of Christ, their help and their hope towards us. That's where we have to come to the end. Then, uh, then we have the tremendous surety, in fact, of a hiding place. We run to the city of refuge and there and there only in Christ no wrong can touch us. So, Father, we thank you for just this portion here of the hiding place, which is just begin. We're just beginning to scratch this about the hiding place. And thank you, Lord, that in this hiding place, there's full pardon. In this hiding place, it gives us the courage to be true about everything. And in this hiding place, we find that grace brings truth into our hearts and brings us to the place to confess anything that's not of God. 
And then what do we find in our hiding place? This is what we find there. That all our burdens, all the burdens of, of our sins are gone. They're completely gone in this hiding place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When his love captures us, it keeps us from being captured from anything else that could fail us. That's why in Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through him. Why? Because he's conquered everything. Where is my fear conquered? Seriously, we all experience it. Where is my depression conquered? And we all have experienced depression, by the way. If you're breathing and you're alive, you've experienced it and I've experienced it. Where is it conquered? In a hiding place. I mean, is it already conquered? Yes. And when I function in it, do I experience what's outside of it? My hiding place? No. The wicked one touches us not. What's the only place he can't touch us? Hidden in Christ. And being hidden means in the one who's dealt with everything that could touch us in a negative or a violent or a terrifying way. Listen, 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love. That's our hiding place. We need to function in it. The force of God's love in its activity becomes a hiding place that we can function in. And boy, am I glad that was taken because that is incredible. It really is. You are taking that, right? Yeah, that's perfect. That is incredible. We can function in a hiding place because of the force of God's eternal love for us. Amazing to think about that. It becomes our hiding place. Long before Lucifer ever fell, in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, it says, He was perfect, complete in all his ways of obedience till iniquity was found in him. Remember what iniquity is? Perversity. Perverse. Outside of God. Functioning outside of God. Satan. Yeah? And that's what we inherited through the fall. But where's the hiding place? Jesus was teaching them even back then in Genesis 3, 21. An innocent animal was taken. His blood was shed and they were clothed with the skins of that innocent victim. That was a type of Jesus Christ pointing to the cross. Every single thing in type is pointing to the anti-type Jesus Christ. That's why it's all about Christ. Everything about it. What a hiding place we have. Oh boy. It's a hiding place from this. Just think of the flood of judgment that's coming. Think of it. There's, what is our time right now? Terrorism, violence everywhere. Fear and terror, right? Is God going to deal with that? Did he deal with it in Genesis 6 chapter? He's going to deal with it. And here comes the flood, the flood of judgment. But we're in Christ, we're far above it. That's why we are a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial, taught type people. <laughs> we are not going through the tribulation. Revelations 3 verse 10, the Greek word 
out is not dia through, it's ek, ek, out. <laughs> out. No judgment will touch us. John 5, verse 24. We pass from death unto life. Judgments, boy, it's coming. And boy, it is coming to our country. It's been on its way for a while, and it's coming. Thank God we have a hiding place. And there's no fear in that hiding place. It's no fear in love, 1 John 4, 18. Nope. Because of verse 17, we have boldness. What are we to have in the day of judgment? Should we fear when judgment comes? Okay, is there any fear in love? 1 John 4, 18. Has God given us the spirit of fear? 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. No. But of power and love and a sound mind, a well-disciplined mind. A well-disciplined mind doesn't live in fear. Functioning in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. We're to let it dwell richly in us in Colossians 3, verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. That's how we can know. We don't live in fear. Judgment's coming. Are we to have boldness in 1 John 4.17 in the day of judgment? Should we? Boldness. What's that mean? No fear. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this present evil world. We've got a hiding place. That's our hiding place. That's the only place. We hide in him, we don't fear. When we hide outside of him, what do we do? We live in a lie, and the lie brings what? Fear. And then what? Death. And death means what? Separation. We become separated from the truth of who we are in Christ in our hiding place. And what, can, what will be the result of that? Fear, insecurity, poor self-image, all of these things. And they're all based on a lie. And then we want to get into the anti-type truth of Jesus Christ and how he's fulfilled it in Romans the 8th chapter. What can happen to us when we don't in Romans the 7th chapter? And the truth about who we are in Colossians the 3rd chapter. Colossians 3, 1, 2, and 3, and 4 are amazing truth for us. Right? Colossians 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above. Okay? Where was the ark when the waters came? Was it like a submarine? Or was it above the waters of judgment, right? Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Why? Colossians 3, 3. For you died. What does that mean? You died. Our hiding place, Jesus Christ, through his death, separated us from anything that could cause us to be separated from him forever. You died when Christ died. He not only died for us, he died as us, and he paid for all of our sins. And when he rose out of the grave in resurrection life, we rose with him. And everything that could wrong us, hurt us, anything was left there in the grave, done away with. That's Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died. King James 3, 3 of Colossians, for ye are dead. No, it says Greek exclamation point. You died. 
Okay? Now, let me go back into my past and try and deal with what caused all this. No, you died. It's dead. It's gone. <laughs> Living who you are in Christ now. Living the only way that God sees you in Christ. Where do we get our counsel? Christ. Where is God's full thought? Christ. That's where it is. Who's our, who's our deliverer? Who delivered us? Okay, and how did he deliver us? Our hiding place is Jesus Christ, and that's how he delivered us, and how are we delivered? Through death. Oh, God, deliver me. You are. You are delivered because the death of Christ, when he died for you and died as you, he separated you from anything and everything of your past. That's what happened. Separated from us, from the dead. For you died. That's baptism. That's showing it in type. You go down, the old you went with Christ, and everything about you, you went down. And then when you rose, you rose again with brand new life. So, if this is dealt with and it's here, then don't go get counsel. I'm talking to myself more than anything. Don't go get counsel anywhere where someone wants you to take out the dead guy, put him on, put the grave clothes on, and try and do something about it when it's already finished. Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work in John 17, verse 4. That's when he was facing the cross. And did he finish it? Yeah, John 5, 17, to do the work, to finish it. John 19, verse 30, what did he say? And he did not say it in weakness. Some think that when Jesus died on the cross, it's like death came and he went, oh. the Greek brings it out. He said, it is finished. And he gave himself over to death. <laughs> victory, power. Listen, there's victory there's power, there's every single thing we need and more in our hiding place. Far more. And to know the love of God, to know the love of God, that's our hiding place, to know it, to experience the love of God, Ephesians 3.19. That passes what? Knowledge. Do you know something about yourself or anyone else about you that's outside the love of God? And he dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Do, are we to know ourselves after how someone treated us and that's going to define us? Or do we live in the definition of God's full thought in Christ about us? When we live there, we're hidden from all that other stuff. The lies. We are to hide in the truth. Oh boy, these verses came to me something flying this morning. Oh boy, they were flying. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Don't sell out on it. Don't receive anything else. Buy the truth. Who is the truth? In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the only way. Listen, what's the only way to have everything dealt about us? Come on. What's the only way? This person did that. Well, I did this. This person did that. This person did that to me. I did that. Who's the only way out of that? I am the way. The truth. You get the right way and the truth and the hiding place, what do you get? And the life. 
Now I can function who I am in Christ. Right? Sanctify them, John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Set them apart from the lies. Set them apart from all harm, from all wrong. Set them apart. Sanctification, being set apart from something into something. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Who's the word in John 1, 1? Who's the truth? It's Jesus Christ. That's who it is. It's amazing, isn't it? It's true. It's incredible. Now, oh God, let us function in the active force of your love continually. And that's where it is. It's in the hiding place. It's in his son. That's where we need to function. That's right. When Satan fell, there was only one will in heaven. Okay? And that one will had a force. And that force had a function. And when Satan fell, we said in Ezekiel 28, uh, verse 15, and we see his five eye wells in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, his five eye wells, I will do this, I will do that, I'll do this, I'll do that. And you see him again in Romans, the seventh chapter, 40 times in that chapter, Romans 7. It's I, me, myself. <laughs> Listen, to, as God is my judge. Any counsel outside of Jesus Christ is going to try and make you deal with I, me, and myself. <coughs> One time, myself is used. There's all a bunch of I's and me's there, too. Forty times. Years ago, I circled them in black right in that Bible. And then the, all the result of that could be was... A wretched man that I am. Itself trying to help self out. Or someone else's self outside of Christ trying to help me get out of myself and deal with it. Not going to happen. It's not God's way. Jesus is. A wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Oh God, get me out of here. Good, I've got a hiding place for you. Come on in. And Jesus, even with his church and with us, in Revelations 3.20, he's knocking. Can I come in? And that's very individual at that point. Very individual. Can I come in? Because if you let me in, okay, you have me to hide in, and I'll hide in you. And we'll have an intimate fellowship, and no wrong can touch you. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.